All right, let's go, everybody. It is the 25th day of 2023, Wednesday, January 25th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. And today we'll be giving you a dose of Taylor Swift lyrics as read <laughs> by U.S. Senators, Jill. I had such secondary embarrassment for them. I, I was kind of cringy. It was hard to watch, I thought. So backing into this here, uh, everyone, there was a Ticketmaster hearing on Capitol Hill uh, yesterday and U.S. Senators asking questions of Live Nation and Ticketmaster after the Taylor Swift debacle. And as they would, and we'll go into this in the podcast later, they decided to incorporate some T-Swift lyrics and people that you wouldn't think uh, would be uh, singing Taylor Swift uh, lyrics. It turns out they might have staff members who do, but uh, it was it was cringe, as the kids say, right? Mosh, it, it was so cringeworthy. I was quite uncomfortable watching it. Like I like physically uncomfortable, actually. Well, if that's not enough of a tease, everyone, later in this podcast, one of our producers, actually, Emily, has put together a mashup of Taylor Swift and Senators basically doing a duet based on all the things said at the hearing yesterday. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, it's not enough that we were uncomfortable. Now you need to be uncomfortable. We're, we're playing you, it for you. It's going to be about 20, 25 minutes into this podcast. So stay tuned. Okay, now to some of the other headlines that we're following. The Justice Department has a new target. Google will tell you about a new antitrust lawsuit, what the government's doing to make baby food safer, an update on those two mass shootings in California, plus more classified documents found, this time at the house of former Vice President Mike Pence. Mosh, it never ends. Jill, have you looked for classified documents behind you? <laughs> you might have them. Um, and the Academy Awards nominations are out. The surprises and the snubs. And uh, does anyone actually care? Plus, Mosh has on this day. Jill, my favorite topic, Henry VIII's six wives. Uh, there's a historical marker for the second one today. But for now, let's get to our big story. Apparently, there is one thing that Republicans and Democrats can agree on, besides the fact that they need to drop Taylor Swift lyrics into any opportunity that they can here. Big tech has gotten too big and it needs to be broken up. And their current target is Google. The Justice Department and eight states filed an antitrust lawsuit this week against Google's parent company, Alphabet, for allegedly abusing its dominance in digital advertising and violating the Sherman Antitrust Act. In its 149-page complaint filed in Virginia federal court, the Justice Department says, quote, Google abuses its monopoly power to disadvantage website publishers and advertisers who dare to use competing ad tech products in a search for higher quality or lower cost matches. The Attorney General Merrick Garland said, we allege Google has used anti-competitive, exclusionary, and unlawful conduct to eliminate or severely diminish any threat to its dominance over digital advertising technologies. If this lawsuit is successful, it could force Alphabet, Google's parent company, to break up Google's massive advertising business, New York, California, Virginia, Colorado, just some of the states that signed on to this. Yeah, it's uniting uh, both sides of the aisle here. Keep in mind, Google's advertising business is responsible for about 80% of its revenue. So this year alone, Google anticipates generating just under $74 billion in digital ad revenue. Keep in mind, Jill, we're talking about Google. Google is a $1.3 trillion company. At its peak, it was a $2 trillion company. It is massive. Uh, back in 2021, it earned more than $200 billion in ad revenue. It's effectively the largest advertising company in the world. Number two, by the way, Meta, aka Facebook. 
they made about 115 billion in ad revenue, about half of that. So this is the core business of Google. But the feeling is uh, among government officials and regulators is that Google owns too much of it, uh, that they are a monopoly and they need to be broken up here. Uh, they right now control about just shy of a third of the U.S. digital ad market. Uh, and it has blocked out a lot of businesses, um, a lot of companies. It's one of the reasons the media is struggling so much. They used to survive off of advertising. Google dominates that. So while the search engine that we all use, that many of us use, Google, is free, the company makes its money through its ad tech business, which connects advertisers with websites and firms looking to host them. Keep in mind, stuff coming up in your search results. Some of those, many of those, paid for by companies. And more and more, that is where Google has realized it makes its money. Uh, Google's response to the government looking to crack down here is that the government is, quote, doubling down on a flawed argument that would slow innovation, raise advertising fees, and make it harder for small business and publishers to grow. That's the case Google's making here. They say they've made the ad market more competitive uh, because there's rivals like AT&T, Comcast, Facebook, all huge conglomerates. It's interesting, Jill, one of the first lawsuits came out during the Trump administration, and now you have one by the Biden administration here. Uh, so clearly now the second straight White House uh, looking to get aggressive with Google. It is funny, though, because it's it's basically verbatim Facebook's argument against any sort of criticism, you know, on that company and that it's too big and has a monopoly. They say exactly the same thing that basically, you know, you're going to be hurting small businesses. It's going to slow innovation. It'll be raising advertising. You know, they just kind of go to the same playbook anytime they get criticized. Meanwhile, Alphabet share is down about 2% on um, Tuesday. They are down about 50% since a year ago. We've been talking about that a lot on the podcast, the tech sector, the NASDAQ just getting slammed recently. You did just mention this. It isn't the first major antitrust suit filed against Google by the Justice Department. Former President Trump filed suit against Google in 2020 for abuse of monopoly power in internet search and search-based advertising. That case is headed to trial in September we should mention Google is partly so dominant when it comes to advertising because they made uh, two major acquisitions in 2007. The company purchased DoubleClick for about $3.1 billion. And in 2010, it bought AdMob, a mobile ad network, for about $750 million in stock. Yeah, and this comes at a, a time where all these major tech companies are going to be receiving major scrutiny in Washington, again, from the right and the left, sometimes different reasons, but it sort of is one of the few things that does unite both political parties, this feeling that they've let the Amazons, the Metas, uh, the Alphabets, uh, which is the parent company of Google, uh, just get too big and dominate too many things. And this does come after a year where big tech has had a very tough year uh, in the stock market. I mentioned, you know, Google was once a $2 trillion company. Now it's a $1.3 trillion company, still $1.3 trillion, but they've lost a significant amount of value. And uh, a lot of these tech companies bet on major growth continuing post-COVID that has not paid off in the last year. And so we've been talking about all the job cuts coming across the tech sector. Google alone uh, said recently uh, they would be laying off about 12,000 workers after a massive expansion. So it uh, remains to be seen what happens here. Keep in mind with these regulatory actions, these sometimes take years to be litigated uh, and worked through. And so imagine you'll be getting a lot of updates on future Modus podcasts in the coming days, months, and years. Part of the problem also in terms of the Justice Department's case here is that 
the same way with Facebook, right? The, the criticism with Facebook in, t- in a lot of ways is that they bought Instagram. And so this just creates this huge monopoly. Facebook would argue, you guys approved that purchase. Right. <laughs> you know, that was something you approved. And Instagram wasn't Instagram that it is today when we first bought it was with our help and our money and our technology that it it blew up. And, you know, Google could probably make that type of argument. You know, they bought DoubleClick, they bought AdMob. Those presumably were all approved as well. And Google was able to use its own technology and its own resources to really build those up and help it support their business. Again, it's hard to, you know, get the toothpaste back in the tube once it's out. Yeah, I mean, by the way, keep in mind, Google owns Waze, owns Nest, owns Fitbit. Um, all these acquisitions, you know, in addition to the ones you were talking about, uh, were approved. Mandy and a huge cybersecurity firm. So, um, you know, Amazon owns Whole Foods. We could go on and on about how large these companies have gotten. And then the government's like, oh, we should probably look into this. We also learned Tuesday that the government is taking some action to make baby food safer. The FDA has proposed maximum limits for the amount of lead in baby foods, things like mashed fruits and vegetables and dry cereals. Numerous studies over years and years show that many of these processed products contain lead levels that pose a risk of neurological and developmental impairment. According to the FDA, even low levels of lead exposure in children can lead to learning disabilities, behavior difficulties, and lowered IQ. The FDA's draft guidance would set levels that do not exceed 10 parts per billion of lead in most fruits, vegetables, mixtures, yogurts, custards, puddings, and single-ingredient meats. The limits would apply to these categories of food that are specifically produced for babies and young children less than two years old. Here is the thing, though, Mosh. It would not be mandatory for producers to abide by the FDA's proposed limits. Although the agency, from what I was reading, would be able to bring enforcement actions against manufacturers that produce products which exceed the limits, I think that's a little confusing. So it's sort of like a stern recommendation. Is that how that works? I had to read this over and over and over again. And I think it's still kind of confusing. And I would think that's probably one of the criticisms here is does this have any teeth? The FDA, though, does estimate that these actions could result in as much as 24 to 27 percent reduction in exposure to lead from these foods. Yeah, there's been a lot of reaction to this today. Many people applauding the move. Some people shocked. They're like, wait, there were, there's no limit in the amount of lead there could be in our food. Uh, other groups that were familiar with this and have been arguing for this, saying it doesn't go far enough. The limits apply only to lead, but there's other heavy metals like cadmium, arsenic, mercury, which have also been detected in foods for babies and toddlers. A research director over at a nonprofit called Healthy Babies Bright Futures, her name is Jane Houlihan, called the guidelines disappointing. She said it doesn't go far enough to protect babies from neurodevelopmental damage from lead exposure. Lead is in almost every baby food we've tested. The action levels that the FDA has set will influence almost none of that food. Keep in mind, people are wondering where this lead comes from. A lot of this is in the environment, in soil. It's absorbed into the uh, ingredients that is used. And so it's actually not possible to entirely eliminate all of it. But what they're trying to do here is to get the companies come aboard here and at least start to lessen the amount of it. In comments submitted to the FDA, Gerber, you might know that brand, said that reducing toxins in the produce and grains and infant food was challenging because much of them are absorbed from the soil as plants grow. They made those views clear to the FDA in a letter more than a year ago. Yeah, that is part of the problem here. The lead and the other heavy metals generally get into the baby food because they're in the soil. And that's why studies show even homemade baby food isn't much better. 
Mosh, you obviously heard my rant last week about <laughs> the warnings about chemicals in local fish and just it, it feels like absolutely nothing is safe. Yeah. And this is kind of the prime example. I've always made my kids both, uh, my son now and my daughter when she was this age, I always used to make her baby food. And, you, you know, you just make the purees from from whatever, from organic fruit and vegetables. And now that's just as bad. It's like it's like you could really just pull your hair out. You know, it's it's so frustrating. Yeah, you. I mean, listen. You can try your best within reason, within budget. Um, and here, you know, the, you could say the government is trying to do more, albeit belatedly, as these tests come about. You know, again, as I mentioned earlier, some people were surprised there have been no limits to lead until now. In 2020, the first limits. 2020, by the way, that was three years ago. The FDA set limits on the amount of arsenic. Uh, that could be present in rice cereal for infants. In 2022, just last year, it proposed lead limits in juices. Again, this is all very recent stuff. Um, Consumer Reports, though, did a study on those arsenic limits they set a couple years ago and found that arsenic still remained present in rice cereal meant for babies. And so they were advising dry oatmeal as a safer alternative. So Until um, they test the oatmeal and find out that there's... (laughs) weed killers in it, and who knows what else. Jill, I feel like some people will say to this, you know, ignorance was bliss back in the day, not knowing all this stuff. Some people want to know more information, and we know more information. And so over time, all you can do is not eliminate this stuff, but try to limit it to the extent possible. All right, before we get to our speed read and the rest of the day's news, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsors this week. Let's start with Athletic Greens. Jill, I know you have recently started their AG1 supplement. Every morning, Mosh, as a new parent, I am permanently sleep deprived and it feels like someone in my house is always sick. So I definitely need all of the help that I can get. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder is just one scoop of a glass of water in the morning. The AG1 powder contains over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. In addition, AG1 has pre and probiotics to help support gut health. And here's the best news. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Just visit athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. All right, we have another amazing deal from our other sponsor this week, Bull and Branch Betting and Sheets. They're extending their special deal for Mo News listeners. Bull and Branch took notice uh, in the fall as we had a discussion about top sheets versus duvets, uh, and they were really excited about um, how passionate the Mo News community is about uh, a good night's sleep and their uh, sleep arrangements and their betting. And so they're offering right now Mo News listeners. 15% off plus free shipping for a limited time with the promo code MONEWS. My wife, Alex, and I got a full set of their sheets in the fall. Sleeping on them nightly, they get softer with every wash. A reminder, we literally spend a third of our lives in bed, at least we should, eight hours a night. So sheets are a very big deal. And here's a fun fact thrown to me by the Bull and Branch people. President Clinton and President Bush both have used Boland brand sheets, so that is a bipartisan endorsement there. A reminder again on the deal, for a limited time, get 15% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONEWS. 
Time now for the speed read from the LA Times. California reeling from back-to-back shootings. Let's start with the latest from the most recent mass shooting Monday night in Half Moon Bay, California. It was the second mass shooting in just 48 hours in the state. We learned on Tuesday that the 66-year-old suspect accused of killing seven people and injuring one at two mushroom farms in Half Moon Bay did not have a history of criminal activity or known issues with mental illness. According to investigators, they say it appears that there was just a lot of built-up anger that may have led to the Half Moon Bay mass shooting, and all eight victims were intentionally targeted. They say Chun-Li Zhao shot five people at the Mountain Mushroom Farm on Monday, all who died except for one, and then shortly after, he allegedly shot and killed three additional victims at the Concord Farms. And while there's still a lot more to uncover on the shooting and what prompted it, investigators have shared several key details. Yeah, so we've learned that Zhao was a forklift driver at the Mountain Mushroom Farm for five to six years. He also lived at the farm, which is fairly common among the workers. After the shooting, Zhao was found in his vehicle in the parking lot of the sheriff's office at Half Moon Bay Police Substation. He was taken into custody without incident. Apparently, the weapon was located in his vehicle. He was allegedly very open and candid with the investigators, speaking with them for several hours. Investigators are looking into the fact that Zhao spoke Mandarin, uh, while the other workers mostly spoke Spanish. It's not clear that this played a role in the shooting or there was any animosity uh, between them, but they are uh, continuing to investigate uh, all those details. Uh, Jill, it comes here as the shooter's ages are pretty remarkable and are getting some attention, both in the Monterey Park shooting over the weekend, a 72-year-old man now in this most recent shooting in Half Moon Bay, just outside San Francisco, a 66-year-old man. I mean, typically the profile of these mass shooters has been sort of white men ages 18 to 24. In these cases, we have a couple of older Asian men uh, in retirement age, effectively. So people are uh, paying attention to that. Uh, I should mention in the Monterey shooting, uh, as they continue to investigate details there, the uh, police department is getting some scrutiny right now over how long it took them to notify the public that the gunman was still on the loose. Keep in mind, he committed uh, the mass shooting on Saturday night, then attempted that second shooting that he was stopped by that good Samaritan, and then was on the loose. Uh, when they started putting out information overnight, they didn't mention to the public that there was a mass shooter on the loose. They just, there was a, a lack of information. So people have been questioning the LA Sheriff's Department. They say that ultimately their strategy worked. Their priority was getting to the person. So they were very strategic in how they put out information. And so they claim. So in their first alert, they came around 3 a.m. local time. Uh, again, they didn't mention whether he was in custody um, or not. And so uh, there are questions being asked down there. From the Washington Post, classified documents discovered at the home of former Vice President Mike Pence. A lawyer for Pence, a potential 2024 Republican presidential candidate, found what they called a small number of documents bearing classified markings during a search of Pence's Indiana home. A Pence spokesperson said that after classified documents were found at President Biden's home out of an abundance of caution, Pence engaged outside counsel with experience in handling classified documents to review records stored in his personal home. Counsel found a small number of documents that could potentially contain sensitive or classified information interspersed throughout the records. Pence had been unaware the documents were there and is, quote, ready and willing to cooperate fully. Okay, Mosh, so who doesn't have classified documents <laughs> in their house at this point? <laughs> I haven't seen a certain statement from President Obama, from President Bush, from President Clinton. I imagine they might be calling their attorneys right now being like, I think I have something. Um, since we're doing inventory, this now means 
so Hillary Clinton had classified documents on her server. Uh, Trump had several hundred classified documents. Biden had classified documents. Pence had classified documents. Um, and that's sort of where we stand on this January 25th, Jill. Uh, we'll see what happens. But clearly, there is an issue here, a larger issue than one individual. It was notable, by the way, Lindsey Graham, Republican senator, obviously pretty close to President Trump, says he doesn't believe that Trump, Pence, or Biden uh, took documents with malicious intent. Another uh, senator, Republican John Kennedy, out of uh, Louisiana, saying they should just, you know, not bother with all this stuff uh, and like end the special counsel investigations into uh, both Trump and Biden. Uh, either way, Pence was asked last August when his boss, his former boss, had classified documents found in Mar-a-Lago. And he's like, nope, to my knowledge, I don't have any. Well, six months later, he does. This comes as Biden's receiving criticism. Uh, Trump, obviously, receiving criticism here. Two special counsel investigations. There's clearly going to need to be hearings on Capitol Hill over protocol, move-out procedures. Uh, you know, Over the weekend, the former CIA director, Michael Morell, who's been a guest on this podcast, said... There needs to be a new way of uh, doing those move-out procedures. Someone you know, with a uh, classified background needs to be going through every single box because ostensibly these guys are not packing their own boxes. Somebody else is packing them. Um, and so the big question here, and I think we know the answer to this, how big a deal will this be to voters next year? You know, We thought this classified documents thing was going to be a big deal, especially if it was Biden versus Trump. But now that Trump has them, Biden has them, Pence has them. Now, obviously, we don't know the intent um, of any of them. You know, we're assuming the best. We could also assume the worst. We'll see what the special counsels discover. Obviously, in Trump's case, he fought the FBI in the documents. That's the one differentiator here versus Pence and Biden. And we'll see what happens. I should end here by saying, Jill, uh, Trump took to Truth Social, his social media outlet, on Tuesday. In addition to just tweeting random polls about himself and random thoughts, he tweeted the following, Mike Pence is an innocent man. He never did anything knowingly dishonest in his life. Leave him alone, exclamation point, whatever that means. From the Hill, journalist deaths jumped 50% in 2022. The Committee to Protect Journalists' annual report released this week found 67 journalists and other media workers were killed around the world last year. That is a 50% increase from the year prior and the highest number since 2018. The CPJ's report noted at least 41 media professionals were killed in direct connection with their duties. While the organization is still investigating the circumstances surrounding the 26 other deaths, a total of 15 of the killings took place in Ukraine, while 30 journalists were killed in Latin America in 2022. Specifically, 13 journalists were killed in Mexico alone, the highest single-year total for that country and five journalists were killed in relation to their work in Haiti. About a third of the journalists killed were local reporters covering sensitive topics like politics, crime, and corruption. You heard about some of those more notable deaths at the beginning of the war in Ukraine as the war started last year. But when you put those numbers together, Jill, double the deaths in Latin America versus Ukraine last year. When I was at CBS, we put together sort of an investigative piece into how difficult it is to be a journalist in Mexico. We call it one of the deadliest jobs in Mexico one of the most dangerous places for journalists in the world. Uh, there you have a, a toxic mix of drug gang violence, local political corruption, uh, lack of punishment for anybody. And so they basically are in cahoots to ensure journalists don't have access, don't report on what's actually going on, the corruption between the government and the drug gangs. And so um, that is the unfortunate situation there. And you know, I really hand it to the heroes in some of these countries, the journalists that are uh, are covering these topics uh, with their life on the line, 
I should note, Jill, one of the journalists killed last year here in the U.S. It was a reporter in Nevada, a local political reporter uh, who was reporting on a various state and local politics. A local politician has been arrested and is on trial. Uh, they have pled not guilty, but that's one to watch here at home. From The New York Times, officials said Tuesday that the Biden administration is moving closer to sending M1 Abrams tanks to Ukraine. It would be a major step in arming Ukraine in its efforts to seize back its territory from Russia. President Biden has yet to make a final decision, according to officials who spoke on the condition of anonymity to The New York Times. If he does agree to send the advanced Abrams tanks, the move would likely spur Germany to follow with its own coveted Leopard 2 tanks. Jill, this follows a confrontation last week during a NATO meeting over the refusal of Germany to send tanks to Ukraine. They're worried about creating their own conflict from Russia. So they insisted that they would only send some of their tanks to Ukraine if the U.S. would send its own first. So right now, according to several media outlets, the Biden administration is considering sending between 30 to 50 Abrams tanks to Ukraine. The Germans would then send uh, about a dozen, a little more than a dozen, of what they call the Leopard 2 tanks, which are heavily used across Europe. Ukraine has been begging heavily for armored tanks, uh, saying their Soviet-era tanks are not enough to help them take back territory against the Russians. Uh, keep in mind, by the way, these tanks from the U.S. and Germany could take years to get to Ukraine. Um, that's just how long some of these things take. It does come, by the way, as the Ukrainian president, Zelensky, is dealing with a corruption scandal at home. He's trying to shore up Western confidence so he's removed more than a dozen local and national officials uh, who've been accused of everything from embezzling, corruption, skimming off the top. Uh, and so that's a story we're watching. One other story tangential to the conflict here is NATO membership. You might remember last year, Sweden and Finland have officially decided to get into NATO. That's been an ongoing process. The way NATO works, all 30 current members unanimously need to let them in. 29 of them say yes. Right now, there's one, Turkey, that is holding things up. They have a variety of issues, including how Sweden supports Kurdish groups that Turkey considers terrorists, uh, that there's weapons embargoes that Sweden and Finland have against Turkey. So Erdogan has a, a few issues with those countries before he lets them in. Yeah, Erdogan also said Monday that Sweden shouldn't expect his country's support in joining NATO after it allowed a far right wing demonstration and Quran burning to take place in Stockholm in front of the Turkish embassy. Finland says it's time for a cooling off period before re-engaging with the Turks. From NPR, the Senate's Ticketmaster hearing featured plenty of Taylor Swift puns and protesters. Ticketmaster's mishandling of Taylor Swift's concert ticket sale in November earned its parent company a spot in the hot seat at the Senate Judiciary Committee's Tuesday hearing. Lawmakers grilled the Live Nation presidents on the company's market practices, with some claiming that it is monopolizing the market and hurting customers. That came as Taylor Swift fans protested on Capitol Hill. Critics have long accused Ticketmaster of being a monopoly, especially after its controversial merger with Live Nation, now its parent company, back in 2010. But outrage reached a new pitch after its botched pre-sale process for Swift's The Eras Tour back in November, when long wait times, exorbitant fees, and website outages left thousands of fans frustrated and empty-handed. Live Nation blames it largely on bots Tuesday. From his opening statement to responses to senators' questions, the Live Nation president stressed the problem of bots and industrial scalping of tickets, 
which he claims also caused the Swift tickets fiasco. Republicans, Democrats, artists, and others all appeared to agree that Live Nation is the anti-hero. You said it. <laughs> the company acts as a promoter, a venue, and the ticketing company, which can eat into performing artists' revenues while also escalating ticket prices for consumers. Bipartisan agreement on any issue is hard to come by, but as Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal noted, Live Nation managed to bring them all together. Yes, they're united, Democrats and Republicans, in their outrage for Live Nation and in their use of Taylor Swift lyrics, Jill, on Tuesday as part of their statements. Uh, the headline, really, for both of us, besides the obvious, of course, were the cringe attempts by senators to use her lyrics during the hearing. Jill, our producer, Emily Gross, has put together a remix of Taylor and senators singing her various songs uh, from their half use of her lyrics. So here's a mashup. Uh, this is what we call the U.S. Senate, Taylor's version. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. Who is she? I get drunk on jealousy, but you'll come back each time you leave. Cause darling, I'm a nightmare dressed like a daydream. Me, you can't get rid of it. Cause you remember it all too well. She wears short skirts, I wear t-shirts. She's cheer captain and I'm on the bleachers, so... Uh, it was nice. Oh, you're a little more than that. N nice of nice of Taylor Swift to have written a song about this very situation. Moshe, I think that maybe that one was the most cringeworthy. The um, the cheer captain, you're in the bleachers. I mean, it <laughs> makes me physically uncomfortable. <laughs> What's notable, Jill, that was Senator Mike Lee of Utah. That was just one of three of the uh, quotes that he used. He really takes the cake yesterday for uh, for most Taylor Swift quotes. Uh, you also. Heard in that mashup, Senator Klobuchar of Minnesota, Senator Blumenthal, who you mentioned of Connecticut, is also there at the top. Jill, it's always been a goal of senators and uh, various congressmen and women to make local and network news with like particularly provocative, interesting exchanges during hearings. And I imagine they had some staff members being like working some of their lyrics because I can't imagine Mike Lee of Utah is a huge Swifty. They also all seemed so proud of themselves when they would <laughs> drop the line. Yeah. Like they'd wait a minute, kind of look to get the reaction, giggle, smile. It was just so awkward. Yeah, if you want to watch it and you want to watch, they're kind of like looking around the room. I, I put a mashup <laughs> over on Instagram. So you can go check that out over on the Mo News Instagram account. Back to the main topic, though. It was interesting, Jill, that they had the CEO of SeatGeek testify as part of this hearing. And he said that major U.S. venues know that if they move their primary ticketing away from Ticketmaster, they then risk losing the revenue they earn from Live Nation concerts. They uh, are concerned and they have uh, gotten retaliation from the company in the past. So they feel like they have nowhere to turn given this monopoly. Uh, one notable thing that did come up was back in 2020, the Justice Department did find that Live Nation had violated what they called a consent decree governing its merger. Basically, uh, the government put um, limits or rules on the Live Nation Ticketmaster merger. The Justice Department found they violated that, and yet the government let the merger stand and gave them five more years uh, to fix things. And that, by the way, brings us to 2025. So uh, we'll see what happens at that point. But clearly, um, it's never good when, you're, uh, when your executives get dragged before uh, Congress to... Uh, get some questions and in this case, some Taylor Swift lyrics. It is really sad though, Mosh, because these are just, these should be joyous events, concerts and shows. And I just know from, from just personal experience, for example, like Madonna's playing, right? 
I'm not. Oh, did even, you buy tickets last week? I didn't that? even try because I just really? thought it would be such a debacle that I figured I would just wait until closer to and just get them on StubHub or something. And I just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like it's taken a, a lot of like the joy out of going to these shows. It's so expensive. Like it's insanely expensive. Um, it's kind of torturous to get the tickets. It's so stressful. I hear you. By the way, I've gotten a lot of reaction on Instagram to the Ticketmaster hearing. And some people didn't buy the argument about the Ticketmaster Live Nation put out about bots being a problem. They're like, wasn't that the point of the whole verified fan thing? That would eliminate bots. So, you know, clearly there's an issue here. Uh, it's gained the government notice. Whether they, you know, move forward to tear apart the companies, probably not likely at this point. I mean, we're seeing how long it takes with Google and other companies. But, you know, maybe there is something they can do uh, to impose some rules on these companies to make the experience better for you and everyone else. From Variety, Oscar nominations are out. Everything, everywhere, all at once. A twisty sci-fi adventure led the nominations for the 95th Academy Awards on Tuesday morning, picking up 11 nods. It was followed closely behind All Quiet on the Western Front, a World War I epic. And the Banshees of Inishirin, a darkly comic look at friendship that unfolds against the backdrop of the Irish Civil War, both of which scored nine nominations. All three films will vie for Best Picture in what is shaping up to be a much more commercially successful collection of honorees than recent years. The Best Picture race contains the two highest grossing films of the year. We're talking Avatar, The Way of Water, and Top Gun Maverick, along with Elvis, a musical biopic that scored with audiences last summer. Other contenders include Steven Spielberg's semi-autobiographical The Fablemans, Tar, a drama about an abusive conductor, Women Talking, a look at the residents of a repressive religious community, and Triangle of Sadness, a send-up of the 1% that unfolds partly on a mega yacht. It also struck me most that there are 10 nominees. And I know that they expanded the amount of nominees a, a few years ago, but it seems like a lot. Like, were there any movies that were made that weren't nominated here? <laughs> <laughs> not, not that I've heard of. It is interesting, though, that they made a point of throwing Top Gun Maverick into the noms, uh, Avatar into the noms. Avatar, by the way, has already hit $2 billion in ticket sales. I don't think either of us have seen it yet, right, Jill? You haven't seen it yet? No, but I did watch Top Gun last weekend, and I loved it. It was so good. One of the best movies I've seen in a long time. And it's interesting because for so many years, one of the knocks on the Oscars is that the films that get nominated are these like art films, indie films, which uh, the people voting in the industry tend to like, but the average viewers, like, I haven't seen any of those. I actually put a poll up on my Instagram account asking people how many films they've seen uh, and we're about 20,000 votes in right now as I take a look. Only 3% uh, had seen more, at least five of the movies, half of the movies nominated for best film. Uh, one third said they only saw Top Gun of the 10 films, and a third saw none of the movies uh, listed there. I've only seen two, Jill, Top Gun, and Elvis. Um, I am hoping to see The Fablemans. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of people talk about that film and just you know interested in the um, Steven Spielberg uh, story there and all quiet on the Western front, given how historical it is. Um, so we'll see if we get around to that. That said, this all comes at a tough time for the movie industry. As we've mentioned, you know, ticket sales are still extremely down ratings for the Oscars have also declined. So you can imagine that might've been a strategy here and trying to get some of the more popular films, uh, to be nominated here. A couple other storylines to watch when the Oscars take place. Michelle Yeoh 
from Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. You might remember her from Crazy Rich Asians and several other films. She would become the first Asian woman to win Lead Actress Oscar if she wins uh, her category. There's also Brendan Fraser, who I uh, first liked back in the days of School Ties and Encino Man. Uh, so, you know, he's done a whole variety of films through the years. Uh, he probably has a very powerful performance in a film called The Whale, where he plays a morbidly obese man. And so he earned a nomination for Best Actor there. And Moshe, there were also plenty of snubs like Viola Davis in The Woman King, Brad Pitt in Babylon, and Danielle Deadweiler in Till. Jimmy Kimmel, he's going to be returning to host the Oscars, which means it's going to be his third stint as MC. He previously led the award show in 2017 and 2018. Last year, if you remember, the Oscars returned to a host format with Amy Schumer, Wanda Sykes, and Regina Hall, which I absolutely loved last year. I thought it was great. Um, Well, uh, hold on. I don't even remember that because someone slapped somebody else last year, Jill. That's all I remember. (laughs) 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 Well, that's going to be the funny part. Like, how, how are they going to address it? Right. Um, Yeah. What's going on with, I think Will Smith is banned for a while. That was one of his punishments. The Oscars is going to be Sunday, March 12th at the Dolby Theater and televised live on ABC. All right, Jill, that brings us to On This Day in History. We begin with a couple happy birthdays to Alicia Keys. The singer turns 42 today. And Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is 45 years old today, Jill. Happy birthday, in the words of Joe Biden. (laughs) Happy birthday to you. Too soon. Too soon, Jill. Uh, For those not in on the joke, last week we told you about President Biden forgetting the name of Martin Luther King III's wife and yet proposing to sing happy birthday with her. (laughs) It was his idea. His idea. His idea. And then he has the microphone and totally forgets her name. Actually, we need to cut that and make that part of On This Day for Birthdays. We got to like, we got to use that once in a while. Uh, Ariane, who produces this, we got to put that together. All right, let's go farther back in history. I got a couple mentions for you. 490 years ago today, 1533, Henry VIII married his second wife, his second of six wives, you might know this one, Anne Boleyn. Uh, this was after his first wife. He divorces her. No male heir. Uh, she just has Mary, who goes on to become Queen Mary one day. So he has to go create the Church of England because the Pope is like, there's no divorce. So he creates his own church, gets remarried. This marriage will only last three years. They would have Elizabeth, who would go on to become Queen Elizabeth. But of course, he wanted a male heir. There's a falling out. He eventually accuses her of treason, beheads her. As I noted uh, the last time we did this, Quick reminder, if you're trying to remember, Henry VIII's six wives, divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. She's number two, so she's one of the beheaded ones. Jill, January 25th, 1961, important date on two fronts. That was 62 years ago today. JFK had the first live TV press conference. Eisenhower, of course, had the first televised one on film. This would be the first live one you can watch in your home. Also today, 101 Dalmatians released by Disney. 51 years ago today, Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm becomes the first black woman to seek a major party's nomination for president. A lot of people don't know much about her. She's got an incredibly interesting biography. So uh, those of you who can take the time to learn about Shirley Chisholm, there's actually a statue of her in the U.S. Capitol. Uh, Really remarkable uh, groundbreaker on a number of fronts. So history today as she sought the Democratic Party nomination and a bit of music news. A favorite song for me and my wife 31 years ago today, Color Me Bad, gets to number one with All for Love. You know that one, Jill? 
not only do I know the song, but I basically memorized the episode that they were on at Beverly Hills 90210 in uh, <laughs> 1992, I believe. Oh, girl, I think I love you. I'm always thinking of you. All for love. <laughs> the all for love is hard, right? You know what makes it hard? We're not singers. <laughs> That's what makes it hard. <laughs> um, and we should probably leave it there. On that yeah, note. If you, if you haven't left us already. Um, we do want to thank you for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Jill, it's been great to read some of the reviews we got most recently. Uh, thanks to Chris Dizzy for this review. I love it. I love starting my day with Motion Jill. I feel like I can finally keep up with current events without sacrificing my mental health. Well, we're glad to bring you that. <laughs> and here's one more review uh, over on Apple Podcasts from JPEG for Life. This is my first stop for the latest news when I'm starting my day. This combo will not disappoint with their fact-checking expertise and entertaining spin on it all. Jill, so... Really nice. Awesome. Really nice notes we're getting from the folks. So I, that's so appreciated. Thank you so much, everyone. Beyond this podcast, don't forget to follow us over on Instagram, over the Mo News Instagram account at Mosh at M O S H E H. Uh, we'll see everyone back here tomorrow. Okay. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>